0: Daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Yes, it is the greatest nation on God's green earth because it is a nation that can correct mistakes, it can uh, heal divisions, it can hope for the future with a can do spirit. That is America. So how do we deal with the fact that uh, there are a lot of serious people who are looking at the country right now and saying it is literally falling apart? How do you bring people together when the level of hatred is so strong on the two sides? And it seems about just everything, about uh, obviously firearms and what we need to do to bring down the overall level of gun deaths including suicides and what we need to do to actually try to reduce the likelihood of horrors like occurred in uvalde texas uh, now of course there is a new source a new target for anger which is the police department there was a press conference today i've never seen anything like it it was unbelievable the um uh way this is covered in the Wall Street Journal, Uvalde police made the wrong decision in waiting to storm shooter, says official. Uh, Police incorrectly thought no children were at risk. Just let that sink in for a moment. Police thought that no children were at risk despite repeated 911 calls from inside the classroom. Little girls who had survived and survived long enough to actually try to place a discreet phone call and not be killed. A phone call saying, help, send the police in here. And they didn't go. Uh, This obviously bears some kind of further investigation. The point that I want to try to focus on as much as I can today, is that what this country needs most right now is points of agreement. Because I honestly believe when you think about this stuff, when you think about the issues of guns, when you think about the issue of abortion, when you think about any of the things that are dividing this country so terribly, the issue of whether uh, Trump won the election or not. I think, by the way, that one is being settled because public opinion is shifting to understand that with all the other things we have going on that are dividing us, to continue arguing about the 2020 election is insane. It's destructive. It is self-defeating. Because what the country needs is to find points of agreement. For instance, there is broad agreement on red flag laws. There's even a piece in the New York Times. They interview all of the Republican senators and interviewing all of the 50 Republican Senators, and they got, most of them agreed, and talked to the New York Times. When it comes to even a national red flag law, the ability, setting up the ability of authorities to take away guns, yes, take away guns from people who are dangerous. Not from ordinary citizens, not from law-abiding people, but from people who are dangerous. There is overall agreement on a number of points here and one of those points also has to be and it has to be heard by people who are like those folks who are attending the NRA convention that just opened today. There are a number of musical acts uh, from the country western realm who were scheduled to perform at the NRA convention. ...who have stepped back from it. We will get to that story. We will also be talking to Ruben Navarrete, who says, uh, look, uh, you've got feelings on the part of both sides, and you have to be respectful to both sides. And I think he is trying to make the same point that, uh, basically, it's very, very important, if we're going to make any progress at all, that people on the Second Amendment side, NRA supporters... Uh, Trump Republicans, Republicans in general, all will agree, and almost 90%, probably closer to 100% of liberals will agree. Nobody wants the police or uh, any kind of government agency to come knocking on the door, boom, 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 and then knock on the door, we're here to take your guns. We're going to take your guns away. Nobody's talking about that unless you're someone with a history of domestic violence. You're someone with a protective order against you. You're someone with a history of mental illness. In that kind of situation, the way red flags laws work is that basically you equip people, and they've done this in 19 states already, you equip people with the ability to uh, go ahead and give the name of someone who you think you may believe has firearms and shouldn't because he's a dangerous individual. And then uh, if that's contested at all, there's a hearing, it goes forward. People bring up the point, the killer in um, in Buffalo, uh, again, he was uh, Peyton Gendron, remember that was his name. It seems like last year, and it was only, what, two weeks ago. The killer in Buffalo uh, didn't have any attempt. They have red flag laws in New York State. And people would have been able to say, wait a minute, this guy should not have these weapons. He is a dangerous guy. Nobody made that case. Nobody made that case with Salvador Ramos. The evil killer in Uvalde, uh, despite the fact that he had given some indication, certainly, to people around him. now we're all talking about it. Well, guys, you should have, particularly the young people who knew him and were playing video games with him, which he was specifically threatening to shoot up a school. If somebody says that, even if you think they're joking, uh, that should be passed down the line. That should be monitored by authorities. Can we agree on that? one 800 we are going to be speaking to Ruben Navarate about the mass shootings and how you move beyond basically just shouting each other and blaming other people. I'm not sure that the press conference this morning with a Texas Department of Public Safety Director Stephen McCraw on the hot seat, here is how he spoke, clip 19 about the delay in sending law enforcement into the school listen
0: there was nineteen officers in there in fact there was plenty of officers to do whatever needed to be done with one exception is that the the incident commander inside believed they needed more equipment and more officers to do a tactical breach at that point that's why bortac was requested on the scene as soon as they were there a search, or at least a, a dynamic entry, and went in. And uh, of course, that was not until 12. That was not 12:57. Hey, uh, hey, uh, with a, hey, with the hey, the hey, with the benefit of hey, for the benefit of hindsight, hey, the benefit of hey, stand by, stand by, hey, stand by, hey, stand by, right? I got it. I got it. Okay. Hey, from the for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision. Period. There's no no excuse for that. But again, I wasn't there, but I'm just telling you from what we know, and we believe there should have been a, an entry at that as soon as you can. Hey, when there's an active shooter, the, the rules change. It's no longer okay. It's no longer a barricaded sub. You don't have time. You don't worry about outer primers. And by the way, Texas embraces active shooter training, active shooter certification, and that, that dot that doctrine requires officers. We don't care what agency you're from. You don't have to have a leader on the scene. Every officer lines up, stacks up, goes and finds where those rounds are being fired at, and keeps shooting until the subject is dead. Period.
1: Okay, we will get back to uh, more about the press conference uh, this morning because there's some of it that is so depressing, and not all of those kids needed to die. That's the the worst you can say. I know. One eight hundred nine five five is our phone number. So what other points can we find agreement? We'll talk about that and more coming up on The MedVet Show. On the Michael Medved Show, a front page story today, and there's a lot in the news today that's incredibly depressing and alarming. This actually gave gave a little bit of a flicker, a little bit of an indication, a little bit of a whisper of some hope. Uh, The report on the front page of the New York Times, it says, uh, facing difficult odds, Senators pursue bipartisan gun measures. Why should it be so difficult? I mean, especially given the polling that shows vast agreement. I mean, the majority of NRA members, the majority of people who are rallying in Houston right now, say they agree that we should have enhanced background checks. What's the argument against that? And by the way, and how many people really do believe we should have a gun confiscation program? And I'm not talking now about like a red flag provision where if somebody displays... Oh, for instance, if somebody has attempted suicide or has written about attempting suicide or has been treated for suicidal ideation, doesn't it make sense to take guns away from that person because most of the gun deaths the majority of the gun deaths in the country and, and a tragic level of killing it's close to 20,000 every year that uh, majority is is people who take their own lives with firearms the uh, the story I was alluding to was after the deadliest school shooting in a decade a small group of Republican and Democratic senators have begun an urgent and uphill effort to strike a compromise on new gun laws, voicing hope that a wave of collective outrage at the slaughter of 19 children and two teachers could finally conquer decades of congressional paralysis. Members of the bipartisan group emerged from a private meeting yesterday, determined to work quickly to try to reach a deal on modest steps to limit access to guns. They agreed to spending Memorial Day recess examining a number of proposals, including ways to incentivize states to pass so-called red-flag laws aimed at taking firearms away from potentially dangerous people and expanding criminal background checks for gun buyers. Okay. This is the ideal point of compromise and agreement, it seems to me. And I'll tell you why. Is generally and I've participated in this in the past too and I participate in it now is that um, you have people on the left who very frequently say we've got a problem and the problem is guns and then to, to that uh, people on the right say nah, the problem isn't guns the problem is crazy people and the truth is the problem is crazy people with guns and so obviously, can we not agree that uh, people like this shooter, like this cold blooded evil killer who actually it, it now comes out that some of the survivors of that classroom where he had barricaded himself, that uh, the people in the classroom said he announced to them. And again, you're talking about 10 and 11 year olds. He announced to them, I'm going to kill you all. And there's stories now about one little girl who uh, smeared herself with blood from some of the other people next to her who had been shot and killed so she could play dead and lie there and look like a corpse so he wouldn't shoot her. She survived, at least. Uh, and, And meanwhile, this is going on, and it's just, this is America, for God's sake, when... You want to think well of all of your fellow citizens. But uh, is this really helpful? This is an MSNBC reporter outside the NRA convention in Houston, where protesters are out today, more expected in coming days. They're having the convention all through the Memorial Day weekend. The uh, protesters. For uh, Memorial Day. Um, so far, it includes maybe a hundred people. They're expecting over a thousand who would be there. Listen.
2: Today, we're seeing these demonstrations continue. Several groups out here, including Moms Demand Action, as
0: well as Black Lives Matter, they're working together. And there's also a group of medical professionals that we understand are wearing white scrubs, describing the impact that gun wounds have on the human body. This, as I want to show you right across the street, there are groups of NRA members who are lined up, but we really haven't seen
2: many counter-protesters. I did, though, get a chance to speak to some of them They say the focus should really be on mental health and making schools safer, making it harder for these deranged individuals to get inside. And all of this is happening downtown
0: Houston, where Chief Troy Finner says they're expecting up to 80,000 people to attend this NRA annual meeting.
1: 80,000 people, and they're worried, of course, with feelings as raw as they are about violence. At the press conference this morning with the police officials, the Director of Public Safety, uh, Stephen McCraw, and again, he had nothing directly to do with what happened in Uvalde, but he's answering all the questions or trying to. There's a CNN reporter uh, at the press conference of law enforcement this morning, and he he talks about the 19... The 19- dead children, but there were also 19 officers gathered around the school, right in front of the school, who didn't do anything. And how did that happen? And why did that happen? It's clip 18.
2: You say there were 19 officers gathered in the hallway or, or somewhere. What efforts were made to try and break through that door? You say it was locked. What efforts were the officers making to try and break through either that door or another door, to get inside that classroom?
0: None at that time. The the on-scene commander at the time believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject.
2: You have people who are alive, children who are calling 911 saying, please send the police. They are alive in that classroom. There are lives that are at risk. Hey, we're, we're protocol, well, is we're, it? we're well aware of that. Right, right. Yeah. but uh, why was this decision made not to go in and rescue these children?
0: Again, you know, the on-scene commander considered a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch- more children at risk. Obviously, ob- obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject.
1: Um. Again, uh, you feel for this guy, but most of all, you feel for children who are calling on their cell phones. 911, please help. Send in the police. Unreal. More, more of that and uh, more of uh, ways we can come together. Maybe some issues on the Ukraine that actually allow people to come together, particularly in this country. We'll get to that, but first up we have Ruben Navarrete joining us right here on The Medved Show.
0: The Michael Medvid Show. Michaelmedvid.com. The Michael Medved Show.
1: And on The Michael Medved Show, it's a pleasure to welcome back my friend Ruben Navarrete, who is a leading syndicated columnist, one of the top 20 in the country, the most read, the most influential, the most significant Latino voice in the commentariat. And uh, he as a son of a cop in uh, San Diego for many years, He brings a unique perspective to issues of law enforcement and uh, issue of uh, gun rights as well. Uh, Ruben, some terrific columns recently. Have you followed all the latest, latest today with the uh, police confession that they made the wrong decision to uh, wait for close to an hour before they went into the classroom to eliminate the threat?
2: So, Michael, uh, I have been following. Thank you for having me again, my friend. And, yes, I have been following those stories um, you know, moment to moment. There's a couple of GPS failures. It's interesting. This is a story, Michael, that we could talk about in a lot of different ways. And there's lots of different angles to the story that need to be expressed and talked about. The bullying aspect, uh, the, the degree which the gun laws in Texas that produce a kind of culture in Texas that is extremely dangerous. And I lived in Texas for five years. It's a real thing. Um, There's lots of different conversations to be had, the extremes uh, and how the the pro-gun extreme is just as lacking in reason as the pro-abortion extreme on another issue, right? There's plenty to be said, but now the story, you're correct, the story of the day, the story of the moment is the response of police and law enforcement, specifically the Department of Public Safety, Um, and that has been broken into two pieces, Michael. That is, what happened that day on site and also what's happened in real time since then, The failure to tell the story correctly, putting out of different narratives, Uh, just the lack of EQ that the DPS director, uh, Stephen McCall, exhibited up until the point where he started crying at the press conference. But before that, he said, I really don't think I have to tell the parents anything. Uh, He says, "Um, you know, if I if I if it would do any good to apologize, I would. And I think a lot of people were just frustrated with how badly they had hired the, the PR aspect of this after the fact, and there's really no excuse for that. So, yeah, I think the DPS uh, response and the cop response is front and center now. They just messed this up six ways from Sunday. The fact that they had 19 cops at the door, didn't breach, they heard the gunshots. Every cop I've spoken to, and you're right, I grew up in a family of cops, every cop I've spoken to in the last 24 hours says it's, it's cut and dried. It's black and white procedure that when you're on site, you're the commander. You don't listen to the bosses in your ear back home. Everybody says, you make the decision whether or not to breach because you're the one at the door. And so they just got a lot of explaining to do. A lot of people need to be fired, resignations. Greg Abbott needs to clean house, or people need to get rid of Greg Abbott come November.
1: Wow. Uh, Again, it's Uvalde, Texas. It's a town of uh, Uh, 16,000. Apparently, they've uh, timed a a slow drive between the police station and the Robb Elementary School where the shooting occurred. It's three minutes, uh, and right. you should have the entire police force and all yeah. neighboring. And they, they all should be there on site. And now it turns out there were nineteen cops outside the building, waiting yeah. for the order to go in, while some bystanders, parents who are desperate to rescue their kids, w- yeah. were screaming for them to go in. Uh, is I, I remember that the uh, Scott Peterson was the name of uh, the. Uh, the guard who was supposed to protect Parkland High School and, right. and didn't. He had actually had charges brought against him, didn't he?
2: I believe so. And and, he, and they talk about the Parkland failure as failure of the failure of the safety public safety officer there at the school, the school safety officer. This was a much grander failure on a much bigger scale. You have to understand about these towns. This is not a Mexican town. It's a Mexican-American town. And what that means is you don't find big, huge immigrant populations. These are English-speaking Mexican-Americans like the town that I grew up in, Sanger, California, the middle of California. That means that a lot of the people on the police force are Mexican-American. A lot of people in the sheriff's department were Mexican-American. The fact that they held back the parents, the fact that there were reports of, of a mother actually being handcuffed and put on the curb because their main goal was to control the parents because the parents were doing what you'd imagine parents would do, Michael what you or I would do as parents, <laughs> we could be screaming, and yelling, and get in there. And if you are not going to get in there, give me your gun and I'll go in there. And so that was happening. And so the job of the cops, as they saw it was to control the parents. So the optics are terrible. What they did in real time is terrible, both inside and outside the building. And this is a Mexican American town. It's not a big immigrant population. And so DPS does not have to put stuff out in Spanish. They only have to speak English. But even in English, they haven't been able to communicate very effectively.
1: Yeah, with with all of that going on, one of the things that has struck me is they have profiles of each of the children who were killed, the profiles of the the two teachers who really seem to be remarkable people. And you're right, virtually all of these people are Latino. But what they're communicating to America is such a... Big and wonderful uh, side of Latino culture. I mean, these are families. That, the story of the teacher uh, Irma Garcia and her right. husband, who died a, of a heart attack, uh, yeah. a, day, a day after she was killed. And they have they have actually an active duty a son who's in basic training right yeah. now, active duty in our, our military, and. This is almost like a, uh, a Norman Rockwell painting of America when you hear about these folks, and yet they right. have this terrible, terrible tragedy that's inflicted on them.
2: Yeah, you had seven, eight, nine, 10-year-old girls using their cell phones to call 911, saying, send in the police, like they've been taught to do. You give a kid a cell phone, you say, if you get in trouble, call the police, call 911, the cops will come help you. And they keep calling, and they keep calling, and. If you want to see now, you'll see that the timeline of the 911 calls. It's damning. The the timeline in terms of the police, it's damning. The fact that the two two teachers were heroic in trying to shield their kids and shot in the process. You're right. Now, Now, there's an ugly part of the story, Michael. There always is. And I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but you know I'm going to say it anyway. I am hearing from people right now on social media, from friends and family members and others, who are raising the uncomfortable but necessary question, of whether this reaction would have been different had it been white parents yelling and screaming in an affluent neighborhood, would the cops have gone in? The very fact you have Latino parents and oftentimes Latino women who are screaming, and yelling to the cops to get in, are they being ignored because of that? If you can imagine a scenario in a wealthy neighborhood of a, wh- a bunch of white kids in a school, would those cops have laid to get in? These are very uncomfortable questions and the charge on the table, the charge on the table is that Texas law enforcement is played with a kind of systemic racism that has never been pulled out root and branch and that these kids' lives were not valued and this was not taken seriously because these were not rich kids in a white suburb. So the fact cop,
1: that, what do you say to the fact that most of the cops who were there were uh, Latino? I'm glad you asked that. I say this.
2: The people on the ground, that's one thing, but the people calling the shots in their ear back at headquarters, those are white people. Even McCall is the head of dps he's a white guy he's not it doesn't matter that you have a latino who works way below him who's on site and he's taking orders from up on top what matters is the power structure in texas i'm only saying having lived in texas for five years and growing up in a law enforcement family it would be naive to believe that texas law enforcement was once upon a time plagued by systemic racism but all of a sudden an angel came down from heaven waved the magic wand and boom, sometime around the 60s, 70s, or 80s, all that was cured. It went away. That's not realistic.
1: Okay, what? that is very controversial. Uh, one of the things I've been talking about, and I hope you can stay for a few minutes more, and sure. we can make progress on this issue, is the only way we're gonna make any progress is like the senators led by Pat Toomey again, uh, led by Chris Murphy and a number of other people, who are trying to find points where it's not a 60-40 public opinion, where it's 90-10. Things like red flag laws. I I would think, except for a court decision that I've just been reading about, uh, raising the age for purchasing AR-15s to 21. Why not? Uh, We'll be right back with Ruben Navarrete and Finding Common Ground, coming up.
0: The Michael Medvid Show, michaelmedvid.com.
1: On the uh, Michael Medved show, the uh, latest column by Ruma Navarrete, which is very sad and very funny, and uh, fairly indignant out there. It's uh, under the heading "Gun Defenders Have Feelings Too." Tread lightly, America. And it basically talks about people on the right who are are saying that certain things simply should not be said. Uh, and and by the way. If you take the headline for your column, I actually kind of agree with that. And I, I, I do believe, and I think you probably agree, that one of the things that we have to do, if we're going to make any progress at all on some of the issues that are raised about public safety and safety of our kids and safety in the schools and safety against, against gun violence, that there's going to be no progress at all unless both sides... Um, are reassured of certain points of agreement. And one of the things that you've probably noted, as as I do, there really are people who are afraid that there's going to be a government policy where people knock on the door and they bag, yeah. bag your door down and they come in and they're going to yeah. take your guns. And they're going to take them away from you. And you've paid for them, and you've collected them, and you enjoy them, and you're perfectly Mm -hmm. safe. You have no criminal record. You have no basis at all for taking them away. They'll just do it. Don't you think it would be important, as we go forward, for people who are in favor of some common-sense reform just constantly reassure folks no gun confiscation for law-abiding citizens?
2: Michael, 100%. And that's one of the reasons why... The extremes drive me nuts. That's why Rubin's in the center. I didn't like it when Beto O'Rourke piped off at a Democrat convention and basically said, we're going to come and take your guns away from you. That's not helpful. It puts them all on defense, right? Puts it, but, but over here on, on the crazy right, you have the people that I mentioned in this column. You have uh, Laura Ingram. You have Ben Shapiro. You have Tucker Carlson. And you have our friend Hugh Hewitt. who's probably the most reasonable of the names I've just mentioned. But they were all offended. As parents and grandparents, they were deeply offended that anyone could say that their resistance to any kind of sensible gun reform meant they didn't care about dead kids. And I just I was just struck because I listened to these folks. I take I've taken this stuff in for a long, long time. And I see their call Ben Shapiro saying at one point, famously, and saying a lot, his favorite phrase on T shirts is, Facts don't care about your feelings. Because up to this point, if I would go on Tucker's show or Laura's show and I've been on both, and I say, you know, there's an instance of racism or sexism or or, or nativism or whatever, they say, Ruben, get over it. You're thin-skinned. You're oversensitive. You know, don't worry about your feelings. And now I just thought, now the shoe's on the other foot. And these poor conservatives are saying that we've hurt their feelings, that, that it's so offensive to them. I never thought I'd see the day where Metropolitan would be so easily offended. But apparently this did the trick, so I wrote the column. <laughs> okay.
1: And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you'll hear from Ben. Um, but... The That's the real it. question the real question here becomes okay uh, can one of the point of agreement be that okay we're never going to eliminate murder we're never going to eliminate suicide we're never going to eliminate uh, uh, gun attacks of all kinds or of any kind it's always going to be there but we should be able there, there I, I do not understand how people would explain. The radical difference between the U.S. and Canada, for instance, which are very similar countries in so many ways, or between U.S. and any of our European allies, where, right. yeah, this kind of thing happens, but it happens just such a tiny right. fraction of the time. Can't we make it
2: better? Well, like as a son of a cop, I grew up around guns, I fired guns, I own guns. But here's the difference. Um, I've never fell in love with guns. You know, there are people out there who are in love with guns, the fetish nature of guns, and those people are twisted. And I've never had that kind of perverse love affair with guns. But the numbers are startling. We have 330 million people in this country. We have 390 million guns. The number of guns that we have in this country is almost the equivalent of all the guns in in the world combined, almost. There's about 450 million guns in the whole world. And we've got 390 million in one country. So there are too many guns circulating around, which means that they fall into the wrong hands. So they become a, a dangerous situation, and also the wrong kinds of guns. Michael, I, I, there's a world of difference between the 1873 Winchester, the gun that won the West, and an AR-15, which costs up to two thousand dollars. And when it enters, when a bullet enters the body, we know from trauma surgeons, it doesn't pierce the liver; it pulverizes it, it destroys the liver. And the very fact that these babies, these little tiny babies were having their insides blown up by this weapon of war that is used by Navy SEALs but should not be bought by an 18-year-old in Texas. I mean, this is not complicated, guys. And the okay, NRA nice. is making a huge mistake. Did you read the case
1: in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals? It was uh, uh, yep. a case by uh, the opinion, majority opinion, was a two-to-one opinion. The majority was written by Judge Nelson. Who basically said, "Look, you can't uh, lower the or raise the age to buy uh, any kind of firearm, including an AR-15, up to 21, because it was young patriots uh, who were often below the age of 21, who uh, who you okay, you saw you saw that. What's your response to that logic?"
2: I, my God, you really have to go to law school and become a judge to become that stupid? Do you really... Do, <laughs> One this, of this, this really goes, I mean, this really challenges the whole notion of this kind of well-educated citizenry, right? The very fact that we, we have... <laughs> the fact that the founders were also drinking beer when they were signing the Declaration of Independence has not stopped us from saying you have to be 21 in order to buy a beer in, in, in the, states, the United States of America. To be able to enter a casino, I have to be 21. To rent a car, Michael Medved, I have to be 25 years old and have a credit card in my name. This notion somehow that we make it easier for people to own guns because it's a sacred right, and this arbitrary figure uh, between 18 and 21, I think one of the things that needs to happen is we need to abolish the distinction between rifle and handgun because that's been a dodge. This idea somehow that you have to wait 21 to, be a handgun, to get a handgun, but you can get a, a long rifle at 18. Look at the long rifles they're buying, AR-15s. <laughs> I mean, and this is the part, I think, Michael, where, where the gun lets go too far. When you're a pro-abortion, when you're a pro-choice person and you fight me on late-term abortion, you lose credibility. But when you're pro-gun at the NRA and you fight me over moving the gun requirement age from 18 to 21, like they did to Rick Scott in Florida, a Republican, after Parkland, that the NRA chose to die on that hill in Parkland, after Parkland. They said it was incredibly important that we fight Rick Scott, a Republican governor, and say that you should not raise the retirement age from 18 to 21. If that's the hill you want to die on, this is why I'm comfortable being in the center. No matter what the issue is, abortion, guns, or whatever, the extremes have gone crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we we talk about is that unless you have already completed your military service and been discharged honorably, uh, in Israel, the, the youngest age in which you can apply for a gun license is 27. Yeah. And, again, yeah. because that's a recognition of, of part of what we know just physiologically in terms of the, the, yeah. the brain actually functioning differently when people are 18, 19, 20, 21, and when they're 25, which is uh, usually an age when you're kind of more grown up. You'll pardon the expression. Yeah. What about right. what about the, the possibility of of at least uh, making some not solutions because again this is not a problem that's going to go away but some improvements uh, in the midst of this ferocious election cycle yes. where people seem to be determined to use the gun issue on both sides what yes, I know uh, we're what, wrapping up. what do you think can be done
2: i know we're wrapping up and i'll be quick about it the thing with to bear in mind about israel is i've been to israel the average 20 year old in israel having served in Compulsory military service is much more mature than the average 30-year-old in the United States. Uh, And so we we do have an unhealthy combination of immaturity and ready access to guns in this country. In terms of solutions to gun violence, here's what I've made a list of what I've heard, Michael. Conservatives want single uh, point of entry at schools, armed guards, trained staff, red flag laws, more background checks, greater oversight of gun dealers, and more mental health services that Republicans will cut. Uh, liberals want and will go along with outlawing certain types of high-impact rifles, mandatory three-week waiting periods, limit purchase of ammunition, limit number of guns one can buy, raise to 25, the age which you can buy a gun, uh, require completion of a safety course, and keep a national registry of anyone who buys a gun. Here's how I make sense of that, Michael, very quickly. On the right side of it, the right-wingers want to do any kind of reform that doesn't impact a gun or a gun owner. If it doesn't limit a gun or control a gun or inconvenience a gun owner, they'll go for it. The liberals are the opposite. We're never going to get anywhere with these guys.
1: Okay. Again, uh, isn't it possible to say all of the bo- all of the above when it doesn't do harm and has a chance of doing good? Uh, Ruben Navarrete, his columns always provocative, always stimulating. He always learns something. You can find some of them posted at michaelmedved.com right here in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.